You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey, Fem fam, it's Tessa and Carolina. Did you miss us like that whole, you know, week that you haven't heard from us? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Happy Friday because that's when this is out. Yes, happy Friday, guys. We've got another great guest for you as always. This one um, was uh, recommended to us by his publicist, Olivia. So thank you, Olivia, for sending him our way. Um, But today... Merci beaucoup. Yes. Today we are talking to Mikael Chaldry who um, he's an Emmy-nominated producer, award-winning filmmaker, and playwright whose work has been selected for multiple film festivals, including the Oscar-qualifying Slamdance, Outfest LA, Real Sisters of the Diaspora in New Orleans, and also screened at the British Film Institute. So I just wanted to, like, kind of read off those those accolades because, like, Mm -hmm. he's done some really cool shit. Um, And (laughs) we're going to talk to him a little bit about kind of how he got started and how he got to where he is today, but specifically about the series that he's been working on, which one of the episodes he turned into a short film, which is Amy Victoria. And it deals with two queer deaf women of color, which is like, you know, I mean, we love telling women's stories. We love sharing diverse yeah. voices. So this is right up our alley. We watched the trailer. We were like, we love that it's just it's just a love story, you know? And it's yeah. like these women happen to be deaf. They happen to be of color. They happen to be queer. It's not yes. about that. Yes. And, you know, I a lot of times I feel like that's kind of... You get those characters and they're literally only in the story to have that representation. You know what I mean? And their storyline yeah. is about them being whatever they are. And that's not, like, people, there's all kinds of people in this world. Like, we're all just here being humans. So, like, to actually, yes, like, to just tell a story about love or whatever the storyline is and just, you know, having people of whatever, color, deaf, queer, whatever, like, I love that. I love the way that he did that. Um, But even more impressive is that he did this during lockdown. So everybody was remote. You know, he was directing remotely. They were literally passing around a phone for everybody to film on and just like how they did it was amazing. And we've talked to a few filmmakers on this show who have filmed in quarantine and did the remote thing. But like this was a method I haven't heard of. So I found it pretty, pretty cool, pretty inspiring. Very inspiring. I think the biggest tech takeaway is if there's a will, there's a way. Yes. And um, that applies through all of our filmmaking, you know, ventures. But I think especially with him incorporating um, the deaf community in his production and like in front of and behind the camera, he goes into all that. I think that's just so beautiful. And like he just makes it sound like it's no big deal. Like and that's how it should be. So Guys, there's a will, there's a way. Enjoy this episode. Yeah, tell us where are you from um, and where in the line of production you fall. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, originally I'm from Bangladesh. I'm, I'm mixed race. So I'm Bangladeshi, Mexican um, and British is my is my background. Wow. Uh, I know it's it's cool and I can take no credit for it whatsoever. <laughs> it was That's just like me, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm half Polish, half Colombian. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Oh, very yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. All over it, but can't. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, people, so, people are people like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Now, if I had a Scottish accent, 
in the mix of all of that, that would throw everyone off. See, that you have be. that extra element where people are like, yeah, he's British, no doubt. And it's like, no, 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 surprise. There's, <laughs> well, also, more, to un- there's more layers to this onion, let me tell well, you, honey. Well, also the thing about having a British accent is that not only does it um, convey a level of intellect that is far greater than my actual level of intellect, <laughs> but it also, it also uh, thanks, to, thanks to film and TV, everyone assumes anyone that doesn't have an American accent, whatever country they're from, or whatever period of history are from, just have a very fancy British accent. So yeah. I, I just kind of blend into anything that, that's going, I think. Perfect. It's a, <laughs> it's a great it's a great charade you get to play. And I I just can only do that in my acting. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's really awesome. So where did you grow up then? Uh, mainly in London. So I moved to okay. the UK when I was pretty young, grew up mainly in London. And then I've been, I was in Washington, D.C. for about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I've been lucky enough to live in a few places so I got to live in oh, yeah. in Australia for a little bit and then a bit of time in Paris but um yeah I was in DC for a while uh, and now I'm sort of back and forth between the states and LA and uh, and DC very nice wonderful and now we have to know did you go to film school I did not no you did not I Bam. I, I Bam. did not go but to film school how do we get school? these people literally like no one goes to film school it's amazing and we love it because <laughs> we, we didn't either and we just appre- like because right. we learned everything you know on the job like we sure. we just decided we we're like we're gonna start producing we're gonna start making our own cont- our own content and just jumped into it and so we love other people that are like yep nope didn't go to film school just did it <laughs> Yeah, and I think, and I think that's I, I take nothing away from film school or or drama school or or writing or whatever education people want to take on it. I never I never tell people you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, right. I went and I did. I mean, I had coming from a kind of as a second generation immigrant, South Asian, and everything. I I was very much taught the the same same sort of conversation, the sort of thing you probably heard Carolina as well, which is. That, uh, and it takes a different form for different people. For me, my dad said to me, you know, there are people who don't want you to be here, people who won't want you to be in their company. So you need to get something that they can't take away from you. And if you can get a qualification, a professional degree of some description, then that is something you will always have. So I ended up becoming an attorney. So that's why I studied. That's not the only reason I studied law, but I, I think it was a driver. So I studied law. But then while I was, I, I was upset, I started playing music when I was a kid. And, and while I was at I was always obsessed with film and TV, completely obsessed with it. And at university, I started falling in with the theater crowd, started off improv, then acting, then directing, then writing. And then after I did my first the play, theater kids got him. Theater kids, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A bunch of crazy misfits yeah. wherever you are exactly. who just sort of let you come and join and hang out. And you obviously, you had to, you guys had to make stuff without going to, to film school. And if you went to film school, you're going to have a prearranged group of people who are trying to do the same thing who are in the creative field and if you right. don't have that then you have to find those people or get drawn to them and then you can actually kind of allow yourself to be who you are you know there's no there's no individuality in making a film it's a team it's a huge right. team effort and calibration to do so yeah absolutely absolutely no sorry i cut you off so you're hanging out in theater you already so you grew up with music theater like as something you've always been drawn to it sounds like and something yeah, that's kind I, of like kept creeping on you so yeah i always love that you... my my brain just kind of always like wired to, yeah. to sort of memorizing music and stuff like that and things and then yeah then i was at university the um so we had the first play i ever did got selected by the theater company to go and take it to the edinburgh fringe festival which is a huge arts festival in, in edinburgh every year uh, and it went out very well and had some some good accolades. So I decided to turn wow. it into a, into a feature film. Uh, but of course, I had, this is where it comes to no film school. I had no idea what I was doing. And there was no one around me 
there was no film school in Dundee in Scotland where I went to university. And so I I didn't have and anyone else to, to tell me. And I went to Scotland. So your Scottish accent would be perfect. But you know, when you haven't got anyone telling you what you can't do or telling you how you should do something, then you just kind of get on with it yeah. and you just make it work. And I'm not I'm not saying it was a particularly good film, but it but I mean it got made and it got finished. And yeah. I think if I'd had too many people being, but you need this first, or you need this first, you need this, then it never would have got past it, I, I think. Um, I don't know about you guys, when you made your first productions, how you how you no, went I went through the exactly same thing, yeah, because our, our first production was a Western, and we ended up only shooting, like, wow. one scene, because it was essentially going to be our proof of concept. Like, we have the whole script written, and came to realize how much it would cost to actually produce the whole feature, but, you know, we didn't know anything and we were just like mm. just going into it blind and at learning as we're doing it. But I think that's why it got finished, at least the one scene, because, you know, mm. we didn't know how much we were going to spend on it. We didn't know what to prepare for. We didn't, you know, we just jumped right in yeah. and kind of said, fuck it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we said, but... fuck it, we're doing this. And honestly, if like we knew what we knew back then today, like we probably wouldn't even have attempted that for better or for worse reasons. But I'm glad we fucking did. Yeah. You know, you could. I mean, the threshold for screw it, let's do it varies from person to person. And I think the, the lower it is, the better yeah. to just get stuff rolling. Um, there's too many. There are always there are too many people that will tell you you have to you have to do things a certain way. There's a lot of like just talking to other industry professionals on the show. There's just like a lot of um, gatekeepers in general in every level. So if you're gonna be your own gatekeeper, you're never gonna make anything. Mm. It's just like you like at some point you are prepared enough. You have your vision. You have to just trust that process and like in doing it and doing a short film which is what we always try to tell people do something smaller i mean mm. maybe not a western with stuntmen and horses <laughs> i was gonna say when you when yeah. you were like my first film was a western I was like, yeah. okay so you went for a really easy low concept right we, that's what we thought we thought we were doing it right we were like we're in california it's like you know there's a ton of free desert plains right because we were really passionate about doing a period feast like us theater nerds we're like we want to get into character and sure enough <laughs> such a dork and sure enough we were like ready to we thought that would be the most um inexpensive way to shoot and like now looking back on it yeah maybe if we did like a scene that didn't involve like stuntmen and well that was the other thing too like, like out of our entire yeah. script we picked the most complicated scene <laughs> but that was right. like you know we wanted to show off like what we could do for the whole feature so it made that part did make sense but yeah it was a lot <laughs> it was a lot and i think and i think that's the thing we were like we're so new in this game we want to show people that we know how to shoot and film and handle something as crazy as this yeah and i think um now looking back on that i mean it is like kind of awesome to say we did do it like we we were able to handle that day it was like the hardest thing we've ever done <laughs> but now we're like okay everything else almost does seem like a breeze to be honest like i'm like oh yeah like yeah. of course everything is not a breeze but just like indoor location no animals yeah. i think we're gonna nail it tessa i think we can handle it <laughs> and you guys also you also will have an understanding of all the different roles and steps on the set that yeah. you may not have had otherwise because you would have had to presumably be even if you weren't doing them all you would have had to be very heavily involved in bringing them on managing overseeing so you're going to have a much clearer idea of 
yeah, there, there, you know, there are basic things that. Um, so, and again, I'm, I'm not dismissing film school at all. I would love to have gone. It's a fantastic thing. But um, there are there are things I've met directors that never even think about the music mm-hmm. for a film until literally at the end, and then it's like an afterthought for doing it. Or they they don't cons- they don't talk to a post production consultant or an editor before you start shooting so they've got no idea what you're going to have and um and i'm not saying that i get it right I, every time i don't but um but one thing you realize after you've had to do it once kind of the hard way yeah and people haven't just been there to do it around you just doing their things is you kind of understand how critical all the pieces are and how how important Absolutely. They are the every single department is so important mm-hmm. And like in, we're in development for our first feature film. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And we have like an amazing team already put together that we've talked to already in depth about costumes, an idea of like how production design is going to go. Music. Yeah. Like I write, and maybe it's helpful because I wrote the script Mm. that like I'm writing already to the music as I'm writing. Like I already have a Spotify playlist sync, check it out. Everyone (laughs) I'm public. And, and yeah, it's like gives me that momentum, that flow and what I envision too in the editing, which is something I like, we want to like seek for after we probably landed funding to find Mm. like our special effects editor to have a consultation. Yeah. Before shooting. Cause it's so important to have these conversations because it, they'll help you guide your vision in ways you might not even know because that's their specialty. Mm-hmm. Like that's their department. And yeah. I think it's always great to like come on um, to these conversations as you are the expert. I want to hear from you and mm-hmm. really value that, you know? Yeah. No, I, I can't agree more. I, I don't, I generally, I always say to people, I don't, I don't actually know what I'm doing. Um, I've made many, many mistakes. Yeah. I mean, in, in life, generally, I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. But, um, <laughs> but I, uh, but yeah, no, and I made, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm going to keep making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. But what I, you know, so when I go to people, I'm just like, well, this is what I'm thinking. Am I completely wrong? And then you know, and they say, and and also, there's a thing you guys probably learned as well, which is it sound, it sounds super, it sounds super basic, not like basic, but it sounds basic as a as a principle because. Mm-hmm. Uh, every any act of storytelling whatever it is is about choices so whether you're writing the script or even developing the idea and concept behind it you know you can tell a character it's this godlike thing you're like i am in charge of everything here now. and you like and you can move people wherever you want you can shift the story you can do that and then when you're shooting you can be well actually i want this angle, i want different angle, I want that. and when you're editing you can cut it there's no not necessarily a right or wrong choice but you have to be willing to make those choices mm-hmm. and people will tell you i think this is the way to do it I think you shouldn't do this. And sometimes you're going to be, yeah, you're right. I do. I'm, I'm speaking at the, from the position of, say, a producer director. Mm-hmm. But you, you yeah. know, you'll be like, you'll be like, well, yeah. Sometimes you're right, and sometimes you have to be, okay, I get it, I respect it, but no, we're going to go with it. But I, I heard what you said, but I want to understand it's on my shoulders. Yeah. If I've got it wrong. I mean, that's the thing about just this industry is like, there's so many opinions, and there's no right answer for anything, right? Mm-hmm. So like. I mean, I, we were both actors first and I know in my acting career, like it's been so much of just like this advice from this person that I fully trust. And then I get completely opposite advice from this person that I also fully trust. And it's like, well, what's right? There is no right. You just literally have to take everything with a grain of salt and decide what's right for you. I think you're right. As long as, as long as it's your choice that mm-hmm. you finally make at the end of it. But, but you're, I mean, you're completely correct. There are opinions and I give opinions all the time to stuff. So I know better than anybody else, but I, I always, I try, try to caveat it with that. I try, I try to, I try to make sure that people discount my accent when I give an opinion. So then I, I, I want you to know, don't take this with more gravitas. Just I'm dead. Yeah. I'm it's dead. A That's voice. 
Um, but you know, I, you're completely right about all of that. You've got to you've got to make those choices. You've got to make sure they're informed on it. Um, uh, just the right people, isn't it? I mean, you, yes. Or you found this. So you can't. You can go and make anything with anything as long as you have people who are going to deliver and committed and, and willing to work passionately. Yes, I love that. That is such like that's what matters the most. It's not what have you done, what experience do you have, what knowledge do you have. Mm. Of course, all of that helps for sure. But like. If you have got the passion and the dedication, that's what's going to matter the most because you can learn anything. I mean, you can learn how to do pretty much anything on YouTube nowadays, you know? So yes, experience helps, but like the passion and the drive is really the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. And that's what having a team, every one in the team who has that same um, passion and dedication just is going to make everything all the miss all the issues just like problem solve faster easier you know like because there's always going to be shit that hits a fan like that's that's production but I always try to have this like mindset that everything's gonna work out it's gonna be okay I was on set yesterday and that was my mindset for the day like it's we're gonna figure it out I don't know what's at the bottom of this hill but we're gonna go for it this is where we're landing. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, well so what it, do you wear the producer director hat um, mainly? So it varies. Um, I, I started off, I mean, I started off like you guys doing a bit of acting. I didn't do, I didn't do a ton of it, but I did a bit of it in, in theater. And I, I still do every now and again, I dabble, but my main thing was starting off as sort of writer director. Um, and that's what I developed, not necessarily for the same projects. I also write separately and I direct separately, but I ended up becoming a sort of reluctant producer on the basis that I, I, I was, I was getting, I, my first film that I made the feature that I did, which we shot for, so we shot it for, uh, I guess in, in us dollars is about $800, okay. something like that, 800 bucks. Um, it was back in the day. A feature film. Yeah. For feature. $800. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I did, I did the okay. opposite of what you guys did. So I didn't, I didn't go and be as Smart. ambitious as you were. I can, well, ambitious well, is the right word. Ambitious. <laughs> Highly ambitious. So I'd written, I kind of took the play that I wrote for Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival. I kind of wrote it knowing that I was submitting it to the team to see that. And I knew what we had. I knew we we're going to have a small stage. We're going to have, but a whole bunch of people are going to be there. So I kind of wrote this ensemble thing it takes place in one room in a living room and it takes place over one night. So you can have lots of characters interacting and make yeah. it free-flowing Sorry. interesting so when we did the film we shot it all in my friend's apartment um i used the money which i managed to blag from the local council to to get like uh, a pretty it was pretty decent at the time digital camera mm-hmm. and a microphone and we none of it none of us had a clue what we were doing so we didn't even use the sound mixing because we couldn't make it work so we just had people holding a boom if they weren't acting yeah. and then we did we did stupid stuff like all the somebody had heard that um somebody had heard that if you put parchment paper over the top of a lamp it will diffuse the light so you just had like students <laughs> standing there holding lamps with parchment paper on angling them and me being like oh yes yes that's perfect that's exactly right even yeah. though i didn't know whether it was right or not so we you just shot it like that and i had to like edit it by sneaking into the animation college to their basement to go and edit and stuff in the mornings so we did all of that so i mean again everything was just no money no cash for any of it but got it made got it finished had a screening it got into a festival in the states and then 
when I was over in, in America, I kind of ended up, I had a couple of scripts optioned um, that I'd written and they didn't go anywhere. They kind of got stuck in production hell um, as often happens because yeah. that was a good learning experience because what I learned is actually most films never, ever get made, even even when someone likes the script or, or has something. Yeah. The vast majority never get anywhere. Uh, and over the years when I was back and forth, still doing my law career and I was doing theater and things, I just kind of realized that if I, uh, you, you can you can keep doing stuff for other people and that's perfectly valid and there's nothing wrong with that as a career. But um, if you're someone like me and I, I think someone like you guys who actually want to, um, or enjoy would be the better way, enjoy doing different aspects mm -hmm. of it, then you're better off actually making your own stuff at the same time as doing stuff for other people. So that's what I do. So I, that's how I started then producing, developing and doing it. So I tend to approach things from that, but I, I take on different roles. So I'm, I'm attached at the moment to a feature film to direct it, just to direct it. I've just been, hired to to write um the script purely as a writer for it's it's the it's the life story it's, it's incredible i can't tell you about unfortunately but it's an amazing life story of this this individual who i, who I met the other day um and the producer already had the life rights and for his memoirs and stuff so okay. oh i to do that so That's so i get to do that stuff but you know obviously if you want to make your own thing mm -hmm. you know truly your own thing you've got to just kind of do it yourself and accept you know it's going to be bumpy it may not be everything you want it to be but it will be your own. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, too, is like the more people you hire and obviously, you know, certain projects require a certain amount of crew and whatever. But like mm. the more people that you hire, the more things that you delegate out, it's like the mm. less creative control you really have, because, yes, you're the one that's finalizing all the decisions. But like and it's nice to kind of let go of that control a little bit, too, to let the people yeah. do their job, you know, yeah. so that that is nice in a way. But also, you know, I feel like we're all kind of control freaks when we have an idea that we want to, you know, produce. And so, yeah, it's just the the more you're doing on your own, the more control you have, the more say you have as well. So absolutely. And then the bigger your budget, the less control you have, mm -hmm. because understandably, the more money that comes in, the more that quite quite correctly and quite reasonably, the more the more people want to have a say and an involvement because they want right. to be convinced and certain of the product you're going to make yeah. at the end of it. So, I mean, that doesn't mean you shoot everything for, you know, a few thousand dollars or you never do a bigger film or you only do a bigger film or you only bring in small cruises. It's just different ways of shooting different, different things. But, mm -hmm. but I think to, as you say, to make your own thing as you guys did brilliantly. And I honestly, I would love to watch it because uh, tremendous respect for doing a Western. That's immense, <laughs> immensely impressive. You're going to laugh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sure it's, it's, it's one scene. It's like two and a half minutes, but we'll send it to you because we're still like we are proud of it. I mean, it was the very first oh, yeah, thing we did. Like, we had fun with it. Yeah, and, and there's a there's a thing that filmmaker. I mean, I've done a couple of I've sort of produced or helped produce a couple of shorts with people where it's their first film, mm -hmm. and and I again I never claim to be the most experienced filmmaker out there, but you know the thing I say to them is you have to the biggest the biggest mistake I think people make is is you get so caught up in your own work. And you're like, well, this has to be my vision and it has to be this thing and doing that. And there are two things to that. One, you lose sight of the audience. There's an audience that doesn't care that it took you two days to shoot that scene or that you you managed to pull in all these favors to do it. Yeah. If the shot doesn't work when you cut it together, it's not entertaining for someone that knows nothing about the background or the backstory right. of the film, then you're failing as a filmmaker to, to get to them. It's not for you, it's for other people. Yeah. And then the other thing is that you've got like, um, you know, you if you... If you're so close to it, you treat it as if they treat it as, a, and I, I mean, it's not a criticism of people, but it's an easy thing to fall into. You treat it as if it's the only thing you'll ever make. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's the first thing you're going to make yeah. or the second thing or the third thing. 
you're going to you're going to get to make many more films so the stuff you have to compromise on here the things you don't get to you don't get feel you get right or the things you get wrong or the things you can't do on it it's fine because you'll get another chance to do it later very true that is a really nice thing i think for our audience to like be reminded of that it's like and we have talked about on the show is just to kind of take off that weight of like being so precious and and like rolling with it because at the end of the day it's just important to it's more important to get things done in a way that is still like you're getting you're still getting your story like it 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 can be unfortunate if you didn't get that one like camera movement mm. shot but um if you get the shot then like let's be happy <laughs> and let's finish it <laughs> and like move on and not you know we didn't it's, it's okay if this one suitcase wasn't you know this color it's like it's not right. the end of the world we're gonna be okay <laughs> yeah. like it's like you know it, i think it's easy and it's great when directors are really passionate about um you know what they really envision and want and the specificity mm. to, and attention to detail that's what makes a great director absolutely mm. but i think um to get caught up and be so nitpicky when you're delaying production or adding more costs as a producer as well um that that bothers me i'm like i we, we can't have that because then you're just i mean you're just making it an issue when we need this to be a non-issue is that too harsh am i coming oh God, sorry i'm on my little stand <laughs> like my little podium my soapbox as we we like to call but that's just where i'm i i feel like we need to then have have some room to um again find creative solutions right and like make this work and that's what I'm about. And that's, okay, that's all I have to say. Thank you. If I were going to I don't, I don't <laughs> think, they're end of the sermon. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's too harsh at all. I don't think Tessa, yeah. right. I think that's absolutely, I think that's really well said. Yeah. You, you have to, um, they, they, I, we were doing, so So the, the series that I did in, in 2020, the short form series, which was, called the myth of control and we made it in the middle of lockdown and it was after everything kind of went when we were just as i was sat there spent a week forlornly going like but the film that i had funding for is now not going to happen because of that then um we started making it and i remember uh, my my producing partner on it sana sony sana who's absolutely wonderful and she's in distribution she's an executive and she's very creative as well and she was between she was moving between london and the us so um so she was out of a job at the time so i said well you're not busy right now so come on let's do this and we just made it but when we did that um there were times when when she would quite correctly be like but i don't know uh, how this is going to be or i don't know if we can get that done and i i said to her the same thing i always say to everyone which everyone's sick of me saying is that um yeah most most films never get made mm -hmm. most films will never get finished so the odds of you making a film and it being shit pardon my language are far lower than the odds of you never getting it made at all if yeah. you make it and you finish it and you put your time and passion and energy into it it's probably going to be good in fact it's probably going to be very good so I think just, you know, as long as you can kind of be like, well, I really want this thing, try for it. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. You let it go, move on and get onto right. it. Because mm -hmm. then at the end, right. once you've got, as long as you've got, as you said, Tessa, as long as you've got all the footage, yeah. as long as you've got the shots, you know, you can, you can make it work. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, I've seen it, you know, with, with our first couple of shorts and stuff too. It's like, you make it and then you're like, oh man, that was, that was shit. And then you go back and you watch it and you're like, actually, that was pretty good. Like... <laughs> Yeah. The amount of times the test are like this, oh my god, oh my god. And then we cut it together, we're like, you know, yeah. we did it. Yeah. That was that's actually pretty cool. Like
Tessa, I'm seriously digging Jambox. The fam needs to hear about their extensive music and sound effect library. I agree. Not only do they have a huge library created by Hollywood level composers, but you can search through it all based on criteria like genre and mood. Plus, they even have detailed stems you can use to create your own soundtracks from the elements they provide. You can literally be your own composer. 6,000 unique tracks and tens of thousands of stems, plus over 10,000 sound effects. Carolina, that's amazing. Oh, it gets better. They even gave us a discount code for our listeners. 10% off with Fem10. Connecting filmmakers with ridiculously good music and sound effects. Go and visit jambox.io and start leveling up your sound production. Exactly. Again, that's code FEM, F-E-M-M-E, 10 at jambox.io. You got to give yourself a break sometimes. Like you said, if you're passionate about it, you have a passionate team, that's going to come through. And like, again, people can be understanding too. If it's your first couple of little shorts, you know? Uh, like, people, I mean, remember audiences, uh, so audiences are used to seeing everything from yeah. super highly polished productions through to productions that cost millions, but are designed to look like they're super low budget. I mean, you even have, you even have, some very successful films like Tangerine that were shot on iPhones. Mm. People are used to seeing that kind of thing to it. So yeah. as long as you make it look like it was deliberate, nobody knows that you couldn't, nobody knows you couldn't afford, I don't know, you, you couldn't afford a steady cam operator and everything yeah. for three days or, or they, or that you had to improvise by sliding the camera along, along a, a roller, you know, a roller a skate skate or, yeah, yeah. skateboard or whatever it is, whatever random. We, we literally, I think we, yeah, we were shooting on skateboards and stuff too. I remember yeah. <laughs> shooting oh, yeah. for that. It was all of that. Uh, you guys should check out Natural Selection on your YouTube channel if you want to see it. Okay, done with the plug. But <laughs> for sure. So actually, let's get into, I want to hear more about your short film. Amy and Victoria, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Amy Victoria, it was a short film you shot in the pandemic. And why don't you tell everyone kind of the, the log line? And we are going to definitely ask you some details on how you shot this, because it's also um, interesting. Sure. Um, so that's right. So Amy Victoria is a, a deaf queer love story. It's set at a time when there is a couple, Amy and Victoria, who have been in a relationship for a year. They come to their first anniversary and they're unable to, to be together during that time and it's just about those two having to face some of their their vulnerabilities and and being honest and open with each other um yeah. and it, it just has a nice i think it's a nice sweet little sort of romantic story yeah yeah we saw the trailer and we we felt that it was it was really sweet yeah um so what inspired you to want to make a deaf queer love story yeah absolutely so it didn't it didn't emerge as that there was there wasn't any goal to do that. Um, okay. So during this, so we're going back to we're going back we're way back in time uh, to if we go back to our repressed memories of 2020, yeah, which started seriously. off so very very well, and um, and we had a lockdown happen in March 20, 2020, end of March 2020, uh, and after and everyone obviously in this industry everyone was out of work. We couldn't nobody could shoot anything, nobody could do anything, and plus we're all locked at home and we're having to bleach our groceries as we bring them in from the supermarket with our latex gloves on and all of that so we so i decided that we would just make something and i didn't know what that thing was going to yeah. be 
but we also i also naively thought that as we all did that this lockdown would be over after maybe three four months mm-hmm. we were all like oh, yeah yeah this thing's going to be a passing thing and it's going to suck but then we'll be over it um and and so i emailed a few friends i think the, the email was actually titled bonkers idea and i just said do you want to i want to shoot something and i want to do it remotely what do you think mm-hmm. and this is my rough idea my rough idea was we do something where there's a group of several friends and it follows them across one day in their life and there will be a mystery element to it and we get to see mm-hmm. a few features through it. And that was my concept. I said, that way they don't have to be all together in the same room at any time. You don't have to keep explaining that and, and all this. Um, and everyone, to my surprise, came back and said, that's brilliant. I've got nothing going on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so we did it. And so it developed into this TV series called The Myth of Control. It's a short form series. We actually went from seven episodes, each one about 10 minutes long. We went from concept to locked scripts in about three weeks for all the episodes, which was insanely fast. Um, I show ran it along with Sana Sony, who I mentioned before. And then we had different sort of writers or co-writers for each of the episodes. We had different directors. So I directed one of the episodes. We had six other directors who came in and did different episodes. Um, we found a brilliant cast, fantastic thing. And we had a great creative team behind it. And after a lot of technical back and forth and talking to different people, then we, we, we worked out the best way to shoot it because we were going to have to put a camera in the hands of people that had never held a camera before because they all had to be in the quarantine bubble of each actor mm. who were going to then shoot themselves in their own home while we directed them over Zoom or Google Meet yeah. and video conferencing. And because we didn't want to shoot it on Zoom and no, nothing wrong with shooting a film on Zoom, people have done it very well, but we wanted to make it look like it was shot in a, a traditional way. So we didn't want people to watch it and go, oh, this was shot oh, on an yeah. iPhone remotely. Right. We wanted it to be oh, this just looks like a normal movie. And then that's a, that's a cool thing. Because I, I take the line, that if you have a novelty element to it, that novelty element lasts for about five seconds. And then if the film isn't good, right. people will just be, okay, it's fine. But if you just make a really good film, they won't care how you did it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's how we did it. And so we ended up taking my my, my wife's iPhone because my wife is wonderful. And she um, she, let, she let us clear the iPhone and upload this, uh, this app called Filmic Pro onto it. We sent it with a What's couple of- What's the app called? Oh, Filmic Pro, F-I-L-M-I-C. So Filmic Pro, I believe that's what they use for Tangerine. And I think that's what Steven Soderbergh has used for his films he's done on the iPhone. Um, Yeah, and they're a great bunch. I think they're based out of Seattle. Small sort of startup bunch. Really helpful guys. We we reached out to them while we were doing it. They were super supportive. Whenever we had questions about, I'm not sure why this is going or can it do this or do that, they they were wicked. And what it does effectively unlocks that the camera work on your phone so that you can deactivate all the auto stuff that your your phone is doing to the That's camera smart. and yeah. allows you to then play with it because so as, as you guys know camera i mean if smartphone cameras are amazing because when you shoot a film anyone that hasn't shot a film assumes that you just point a camera and you press it and they don't know that you have to do so many different things about lenses about different shots right. if you're doing a fast one a slow right. shot if you're doing high light low whatever there's, there's so many changes and your phone just processes all of that with software to make it look good however you're shooting yeah. so filmic pro allows you to just switch all of that off and then you can you can go sort of full on with it um yes yeah, so we sent it out to each person in turn it was sanitized in the box they be put it in the back of a trunk of a lift uh, and then drove to the next actor the the driver would pop the trunk without even opening the door so the actor didn't have to interact with any person physically they take it out sanitize the equipment again for safety shoot it 
redo it, pack it and pass it on. So that's how we kind of did this, this thing. And we had a wow. screen mirroring system set up. Yeah, we had to, so we had to reverse engineer everything about it, work out how to make all these, all these pieces of technology that weren't designed to work together mm. and make them fit in a way that was accessible to people. Yeah. Uh, so we did, and we had, I mean, I'm not going to lie, depending on people's Wi-Fi connection, <laughs> there were easier shoots and there were harder shoots, but but we all got through it. And all of the actors involved were, were brilliant. And we had we had some fantastic actors, some some wonderful cast. They were people like Murad Yunus, who's just at the Warner Access um, right now, uh, with John Palladino from Orange is the New Black, with um, Christy Farris, who's who's been on Scrubs, Goliath, uh, New wow. Monogamy, so many shows. So we, we got we got a really fantastic cast in who were all just prepared to basically shoot themselves at home yeah. for like a couple of days each time of the episodes. And so that's how we did it. And so the series was, was shot in that way. Post-production, everything was done completely remotely. Mm-hmm. Nobody met at all in person. I still haven't met, I would say, at least half of the people Oh. that we actually worked with in person we still haven't interacted in person and and we ended up wow. with people from, i think 28 cities and eight countries were working on it so yeah we, so we got all that done shot it super fast did it really quickly um and then as we were looking to promote it we decided we would take one episode and turn it into a standalone short film because that is better on the festival circuit as a promotional right. system for sure so amy victoria came out of that and so i've, I've explained a very long-winded explanation of this this series which didn't even answer your question of <laughs> how did you come up with amy victoria but um no but i love this backstory because like just hearing how you even got started with it and what you decided to do like i mean you know a lot of people have made films in quarantine and everybody had a different method to it but like this i haven't heard this method of literally like sending the phone off and like passing it off the whole you know like that's i love it <laughs> oh thank you yeah it was it's very no, it was yeah no i i mean I, yeah I, th- I think you're right i haven't come across this one done elsewhere we we then use the same method so there's um there's a, a writer producer called samir gardezi samir who he just did hot mess holiday which was on comedy central and got nominated for an naacp image award for it. he's wonderful he's out in la and he saw he saw the uh, cut of what we were doing and he liked it so he actually got and brought me and some of the team members on so i end up producing three short films for his company which he needed produced before the election in 2020 and so we had to do a similar method so we got to use this a few different times and then and subsequent to that we we haven't had to shoot things fully remotely but i've shot um yeah i've done done another film after that in february 2021 which um and that one we we used a lot of the technology concepts and a lot of the ideas around it mm-hmm. to make that work so so I've, I've been lucky that even even now that we're not having to do it like that you can still use those learning experiences which is, I mean, it's one of those lessons you talked about earlier like yeah. you said if you just go and have a go at it so but oh yeah to, to, to the point of why is it a, a, a queer deaf love story between two women of color so all the work that i do i always try to to bring diversity and equality into it because i i growing up i didn't see myself on screen i still don't see myself on screen i'm, I'm you know a mixed race muslim you don't you don't really see those characters unless they're in there for a very specific reason right. so i like to see things where the characters don't have to be women or lgbtqia or a particular color they for the story 
right. but they are. And when you do it authentically, I think then the characters behave slightly differently. The stories can take on a slightly different turn. It's not about tokenistically just, well, let me swap this yeah, person for someone like I that. I love that. You know, they're going to have that. We, you know, everyone, the microaggressions a character has faced during a time and the concerns they're going to have, they're all going to react slightly differently in, in, in different scenes. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's my, that's my starting take. And when we were doing the series and I was creating the six main characters for the series, Amy was one of them. And I realized I couldn't remember watching um, Def. I, I can remember seeing a couple of things. Like you, I've seen Marley Matlan in um, you know, West Wing and mm -hmm. there's a Def character that showed up periodically in The Magicians. And you see little bits, but I, I realized I'd never really seen anything where actually two more than one deaf character was just interacting with the other i just couldn't occur it so i thought it'd be interesting to do that um and i wanted to see that so that's how amy emerged amy uh, as to why amy was gay um honestly there was no reason i were creating it really really fast and as i was just conceiving the plot it just made sense yeah. and it made sense that she would be and it made sense that victoria ended up being victoria um and that's yeah. that's really how it yeah, yeah, I, did, I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. There wasn't a, it sounds very pretentious. She just was, burst <laughs> that way. But No, uh, no, I love that it wasn't, again, like a token reason mm -hmm. other than you felt that it made sense. Here's a, yeah, here's a great character that would fit and feel that way, but there's no other agenda or specific reason other than like would love to have more of this and like would love mm -hmm. to see this. And um, I think that just makes the characters and the writing is more authentic because yeah. it's just focusing on love, like other than like having to be specifically queer love because queer love is love. Like there's, you know, there's just, I think, um, I, I just, you can feel it when it's like forced in a, mm -hmm. in a script or when you, you see it on TV, like, you know, people are trying to be inclusive and it's just like, eh, it's coming off like forced and just, yeah, I, I love actually that your approach was very simple and, you know, just, not trying to like do more than what it is like let it breathe yeah. let it be its thing thank you uh, well yeah. and we had the brilliant i mean the brilliant writer hannah harmison hannah is she she writes queer stories as well it's not only but that's one of her, her sort of key things but that's amazing to do and so it was great yeah. and she also knows the deaf community so we we're able to bring that in and then of course we ran the script past the deaf actors as well mm -hmm. to make sure that they were comfortable that it was accurately showed the way they would interact with each other the way they would interact with hearing characters we wanted to make sure it, it, it matched up and they were happy yeah. with all of that so so we did that it didn't uh, yeah the truth it, it's this thing that it doesn't take as much as people think to try to number one convince an audience that something is just a story because if you just do it they're just gonna right. buy into it they're not gonna no one no one sat there i've yet to hear anyone from any background say to me <laughs> But I, yeah, I watched it, but I just couldn't really get over the fact they were deaf. And like, they were just like, oh, they were, they were deaf. Yeah. Fine. They, were, they were doing, you know, there's like a novelty element to it for the, again, it goes about that, that novelty factor. There's a novelty element, perhaps the first 30 seconds of the interaction. Mm -hmm. But after that, if, if you, if the story is good and the characters are good, people will just accept that that is the universe. Yeah. Oh my God. You like, honestly, again, watching the t trailer, I got PTSD from the pandemic <laughs> and and that's like, but that's something we all went through and can connect with. So again, it wasn't about now these queer deaf characters, 
uh, it was like, oh, this sense of I we've all had a moment where sorry, can't see this loved one because someone's sick and mm. you would jeopardize my health. And but I miss you so much, just like a friend of mine, you know, like I miss mm. you. We're going to have to now find another way to connect. And it's already been, been like a year and a half. I haven't had to, like, you know, like things like that. We've all had that that we've all been through that. So I think, again, like just committing to that human element, like you said, it's just like we we get it it's not also then this grander story than what we've all can relate to mm-hmm. and and feel um i want to ask you how um do you sign how can as a director how can you prepare yourselves if you want to um hire deaf care or write for having deaf characters and want to work with them like how does that relationship work i'm very curious yeah, it's a really good question. So, and I didn't direct that episode. We actually, Christy Farris, actually the actor, mm-hmm. she directed that. So she okay. started one episode of the series. And then I, like Christy, I'm very lucky to call her a friend. She's one of the loveliest people um, out there. She's really wonderful. And I and she, I knew she'd been interested in directing. So I actually reached out to her and said, I said, mate, I'm doing this this thing again. It's bonkers. It's insane. I won't be offended if you don't want to do it, but you fancy <laughs> doing it. Yeah. And she was like, okay, sure, without clearly without having any idea what on earth she was letting herself in for. And so that was her directorial debut. Um, and Christy, and, and she was a brilliant choice because we have two two women of color in the actors. You have Stephanie Nagueras and you have Natasha Ophelie. Stephanie is uh, Puerto Rican and Natasha is black. And they, and Christy is, is a black woman who has been through many of the same sort of things that they would have had to face in their lives and, and in a different degree. So she was able to bring out so much more from their performance, which again goes to why, you know, why should you have, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't, anyone can direct anything, anyone can write anything, all of that. But if somebody has had some degree of shared culture or experience, right. then that helps. It doesn't have to be exact, in my opinion, just my opinion, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but they have something in there then they can draw on that and that can help um so that that definitely came through so none of us signed we none of us knew any asl except for hannah the writer mm-hmm. she didn't hannah actually appears in the film in a little cameo she is the there's a, a thing called video relay service which is a way that deaf and hearing people communicate so you me as a hearing person i could call this service and they will video call onto a deaf person and I will speak and hear their voice and they will sign onto Mm -hmm. the deaf person and vice versa. So we showed that in the start of the script, uh, in the start of the film happening. And Hannah, I convinced Hannah that she should be the one signing the interpreter, sorry, for the VRS service. So, so we got to shoot her doing that, doing her showing off her ASL skills and she did a a brilliant job. Um, But that, yeah. So none of us except her knew it. We, we did, um, and we couldn't afford an interpreter the whole time because you need. That's what I was so, curious. Like, did you have to hire one? No, I would. Yeah. I mean, it would have been brilliant to have had that, but they right. we just didn't. We didn't have the money for it. So we used an interpreter for a couple of meetings and rehearsal. What we did at the time, Google Meet had just brought out, luckily for us, uh, real time closed captioning voice okay. recognition. Wow. So when you use See, Google this is Meet, when I love tech. Tech. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it's just like it was, that's amazing. Yeah. It was an amazing thing. So we would speak. And the captions would all come up and the actors would watch it and they'd see that. And they would, if they felt comfortable to use their voice with us, they would use their voice. If they didn't, then they would type back in the caption or they would make an indication of what mm-hmm. we're doing. We, Christy created a couple of basic signs that she could use for rolling, for cut, uh-huh. for action, stuff like that, so that she could communicate. Um, and we learned, I mean, I, I learned a bit of sign language, a bit of ASL. I'm still learning. I'm not, I'm not terribly good. I'm still 
very much left two left hands as they would say but I um but getting better at it so we would yeah we did that yeah. for so it was a mix of things going through and it, it this is where you talk about the people it took so much patience from everybody everyone had to be so calm and doing it um, but taking that back to your question actually working on a wider scale on, on a less as was well a, a more traditional set the multi which we shot in 2021 which was written and created by uh, Natasha Ophelia herself and she starred in it as well oh, wow. so for that one then we had uh, sort of semi-remote production because it was in between lockdowns in in LA in, in 2021 and for that we had the interpreters remotely we had a hearing DP and and gaffer but we had a majority deaf crew and okay. the majority deaf cast so we communicated oh with them by having a couple of big screens on the set which the zoom was on and the ASL interpreters were there doing it doing it everything remotely so we we kind of had a combination again of having to when it was particularly complex we everyone had to do it to the camera so then you could see and hear back um and and again it, it required patience on set required management in the ideal world yeah we would have interpreters there the whole time to do right. that and you, you can certainly do that in a bigger production but uh, look, the truth is it doesn't take that much if you're if you're willing to make some accommodation and allowance for it and also if they're willing to make some accommodation allowance for you because it'd be perfectly reasonable for deaf cast and crew to say oh well i yeah i mean it's not just about you me trying to make myself hurt to you you have to find a way right. to communicate with me but if everybody's just prepared to understand that we're making something the best way everyone can yeah and we're doing that then you'll get it done yeah i mean that's you know that's filmmaking in general right it's like if we can all agree that we're like in this together it's going to be a better product but i mean i just think about like on any set how much you know, people are on walkie-talkies, how much people are yelling, like, sharps, or, you know, whatever's coming through, and it's, like... <laughs> points, points. Yeah, to not have any of that, like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was very difficult, but, yeah, as long as you have the patience, and everybody has the patience and wants to do this, yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, a beautiful it, thing. It's yeah, a beautiful it was, thing. And it wasn't as difficult as you think yeah. it would be, and truthfully. It, it wasn't that much... It wasn't that much harder. Mm -hmm. uh, and we it helps that you have brilliant. There's, there's such, you know, diversity is one of these interesting things. Even if um, even if you don't agree with it on a, on a on a moral sense, you don't think it should matter or you just don't care about it, then at a at a basic sort of business level or a management level, you should be casting your net as wide as possible. You don't want to be going from the shallow end of the of the of the talent pool right. the whole time. You want to go to the deep end and to do that. If you can make just tiny accommodations in places, you're going to get incredibly experienced people on there. I mean, our production designer has worked on these deaf, and he's worked on Marvel films and stuff like that. You know, these are not these aren't like hobby hobbyists working on these films. They're they're all professionals. They're all doing amazing work. Wow. And stuff. So yeah. You're silly if you're excluding them as potential talent for you. And that's that's actually a really great point because I think that's something we know like networking and trying to find you know more um people to always bring on or like you know like you casting that wide net um out there i guess you would say that the work you're creating will always kind of then attract those talented people is what i'm hearing right and like being able to find that alignment that you both like agree on i guess is is th that's the key and another great way to do it yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, that's that's really a great point. Um, but like, I love that it's not it's not that 
it's not that hard. I love that, that you're just making that the point. It's just not that hard and something we can all achieve if we're wanting to do it and willing to do it. Yeah. Making a film is an act of complete lunacy. <laughs> just So it's already hard. I feel stupid every act- time I'm like telling people what I'm doing. <laughs> well, because you do it. And then, but also because people, like, people just think... making a it's, film, it's fine. People think it's simpler than it is. Exa- like, oh, exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. And they're like, oh, does it need all that? And then, um, so it, it's already, it's really hard. It's really complicated. If you yeah. go and... You're then like, when people say, and they're like, oh, but how will you account for that? I'm like, you've already done the hard part yeah. by getting this up and rolling. This is yeah. a tiny extra adjustment you've got to make. It's minuscule compared to what you've already done. You know, it's only because it's easy to say, it's, it's really easy to say we can't. Can't is such an easy word to put out. So there. easy. I'm always, and, and, and I, hate, I actually hate that, I hate that word. I hate that word. Like, I I'm like, okay, let it. me just try to, what, okay, what, what's the problem? Yeah. Solution. Come to me with solutions. Don't come into problems where we can't, because I'm always going to like, yeah, there's, there's a point where you just have to say, okay, this isn't going to work, but I, I just, I feel like you always have to explore. I, I always like look at everything and then make the decision, you know? Yeah. No, the only time I, the only time I think can't is acceptable is if it's, well, we can't do that, but we can do this. Mm-hmm. Then as long as it's followed by that, but of course it like, you, you know, you're shooting your, you're shooting your Western. And if, if you have a director, I'm not sure if you were directing or who directed, but if the director goes and says, and I must have a cast of at least 25 people in the background, you're like, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's simply, we can't do it. But what oh, we can I've do, is, but we can shoot it so that you've got two extras in each shot in the background. So it amplifies the number of people and we can actually ask the DP if they can move the camera really fast. So it'll add a lot of more energy to the scene. Da, da, da. that's perfectly fine i don't you know then it's um then it's fine to do that and then that's when it goes back to your point carolina where you're just like well you know if the director isn't prepared and, and i say you guys i'm presuming have both produced and directed and, mm-hmm. and written and things and so same thing you switch hats yeah and you do it and if you're you know when you've been a producer and you've been a director you kind of know the producer is going to say no to you for a good reason and you as a director right. you know that you've got to kind of ask for stuff but accept that you know, it'll get down to where they can get it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the beauty of creative collaboration, y'all. That's like, that's it right there. (laughs) And especially if you've worn all those hats, like you get it, you know, like you understand what the limitations are of the other side. So when you're not wearing both hats, you're like, okay, I know that I can't come to the, you know, producer with this issue or whatever. And yeah, you just, you get it. (laughs) You get what you have to provide. I just think it's disrespectful when like, yeah, you want to ask, you know what your limitations are. And then you want to ask for something that like, I'm not, producers aren't gods. We we can pretend that we can like make it all happen. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, like to your point, like if there's a limit restriction at a location for a crew of 20 people and then you want to invite 10 extras on yeah. like no honey we can't do that <laughs> like I can't I can't sm- there's there's a restriction in place you know and I'm someone where like all right maybe throws like a crew member on as an extra to get and create like more bodies and stuff without having right. to bring in more more people into this limited set that we agreed to with the location and like you know it's just like that that really bothers me <laughs> like um because I just think it's it's when, you know, yeah, you people f- don't feel like you can't ask, but just think about it. Like you, you already know what agreements are in place maybe or whatever, like 
what's a, what's a solution we can come with where you can still get what you're looking for mm-hmm. yeah. without like, you know, jeopardizing the set or, you know, agreements, et cetera. So that's just like where I draw my line. Yeah, no, I, I think there's <laughs> yeah. a dangerous myth of the auteur in, in for this, this, there's this idea that sort of you have someone that goes and they, they're a genius and they've insisted, because there's always, because you always get the odd Oscar winning film where everyone knew the director was really difficult and they demanded da 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 and people the budget inflated and then two people got injured because of it and right. da da da. But exactly. you know, at the end of it, but at the end of it, the work was so beautiful. They're like, well, yeah, every now and again that did, but arguably, but you're always like, would that film still have been an Oscar worthy film if they hadn't gone nuts and done that stuff and actually just been creative with what they had? quite possibly and then you look at all the other films where people did that and nobody even watched them because they just still came out a bit rubbish you it you know a film isn't brilliant because someone has been insistent on things a film is brilliant because someone takes what is available and uses it creatively in a smart way to entertain entertain an audience just my opinion then again what the f do i know (laughs) but oh my gosh mikhail uh so we we know you're working on a couple of other projects but is there anything else you'd like our audience to know or leave with and we're definitely going to ask you to pimp out your socials yes social media website all of that like everything all of that we want people to see thank you yeah yeah i appreciate that yeah i I mean the main thing amy victoria is still on this festival circuit it's going to finish its run in about three months i think it's we've been very lucky it's been in uh two oscar qualifying festivals been screened at uh, two bafta qualifying festivals had a screening at the bfi British Film Institute in London. Oh, that's um, so, exciting. so yeah, we're very lucky for a, for a film that we did on an iPhone remotely. It's done very well, and, <laughs> and I'm developing that into a feature film at the moment, which actually working with the original writer and another brilliant writer um, on that. And then I'm attached to director film, which is being written by Marcos James from Game of Thrones. Um, he's a lovely, lovely guy, and it's being done. He's he's part really? Jamaican, being done with a Jamaican producer called Tracy Roan. Um, and yeah, I've got so I've got a few sort of bits on on the go but as you know as with everything you throw it throw it out there and see what happens yes. um yes. no I, I don't think anything else really to, to say about myself or that um I, I really this was wonderful thank you so much for having me on I'm i very hope you flattered enjoyed this to, oh really <laughs> yeah. it was tremendous no i'm really flattered to have been invited thank you yeah absolutely and then also for our listeners um and if you have like a social media handle or just what your website address is just for them to find yeah. you <laughs> to absolutely. stop you yeah, to store me, absolutely. My um, so my Instagram. I'm not tremendously active, but I my Instagram is uh, at midnightcaller underscore underscore underscore. Midnightcaller is the it's an old music handle I had many years ago. Okay. I first went on Instagram. Truth be told, I went on Instagram. I didn't really want anyone to find me, and then I did it, and now I don't really know how to change it. So I just <laughs> stuck with it. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Mikhail Chowdhury as well. So and you can look up my production company on. Uh, it's called LDNO. Productions, uh, which stands for Locked Down, Not Out Productions. And that is uh, yeah, LDNO.com. <laughs> love it. Lock, love it. Um, welcome to the community. And yeah, thank we'll um, thank you again for coming on today. Yeah, this is no, Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the Fem Fam on Patreon. 
For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.